This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, in case you missed it, it is almost Valentine's Day. You got a couple of days to shop, guys. Go and make the most of it. Monday is the day. Uh, But right now we're coming to the end of National Marriage Week that the USCCB gives us every year as a time where we're thinking about taking care of our our spouses, finding those that that perfect gift, finding that point of connection to think more deeply about our marriages. Our marriages are are a sacrament to us, a means and a vessel through which we receive grace. And so it's time to take stock of that and say, well, how am I receiving the graces of the sacraments in my marriage? And how am I transmitting to my spouse the benefits of those as well? And so I wanted to talk today about marriage enrichment, of doing a little bit of a checkup and looking at our, our relationship with our spouse Uh, all the different ways that we relate to them, and see if we can make it better. Now, you might be thinking, oh, well, marriage checkups, marriage enrichment, that's for people who are having problems. And it's true that marriage enrichment can do a lot for someone who is uh, having communication difficulties or or just feeling distant from their spouse because of the monotony and and pressures of everyday life uh, have taken away the joy that they once knew. But the truth of the matter is, Marriage enrichment is for every single one of us, because no matter how good and strong our relationship with our spouse is, there is a deeper level of intimacy that we can grow in, that we're always striving for that deep, perfect connection to know uh, and to be known, to love and to be loved. And so today to explore this topic, I thought we'd bring in the experts. We're joined today by Daniel and Regina Boyd. Regina is a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice in Lake Mary, Florida. She's a a frequent podcast guest on the topic of of marriage and mental health. Uh, She's the host of Connecting Out Loud podcast, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find out more of her work over at reginaboyd.com. Daniel is the secretary for Laity, Family, and Life for the Diocese of Orlando and co-host of the podcast, Being and Making Disciples, a Catholic podcast about fruitful ministry, where, again, you can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts. It is such a pleasure to have you both on the show today. Thank you for joining me. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, we're excited. Thank you. So back when I was doing marriage preparation on a regular basis, I always started the day by asking the couples to gather around their table and share with one another around their table the story of how they met. So I'd like to begin the same way today. Tell us the story of how the two of you met. Well, um, one of the first time we actually spoke, I guess I could say, um, we met in our Catholic campus ministry in college at the University of Central Florida, go Knights. And um, he was altar serving one of the masses on campus. And at the time, if you could just picture this six foot two redhead at the time, he had like carrot top hair (laughs) that was braided into cornrows. And so I'm sitting there in mass and looking up at the altar at this altar server. And I'm thinking to myself, a redhead with cornrows, I I have to talk to him. Um, so that's pretty much what happened. That that was probably our, I had seen him around, you know, before then, but that was our first conversation was after, after that mass. 
And then uh, probably a little bit after that, the campus minister at the time, who's, who's still a good friend of ours, he asked us if we would consider being the MCs on one of our, our semester retreats. And really what that looked like is um, we would transition from kind of one speaker to the next. And if, if a speaker missed one of the, the major points in the talks, then we'd be able to come in after that speaker and, and say, oh, you know, I, I love this. And it really connects to the retreat theme in this way. So we spent a lot of time talking about the talks and the themes of the retreat and praying together, going to mass together. And and what do you know? You spend that much time with a beautiful Catholic woman and, and you might fall in love with her. So yeah. I'm pretty happy I did. Now, so here, this brings up another question. Um, I know that my wife and I have done some speaking together and we have vastly different preparation styles. I'm kind of a, <laughs> uh, kind of a marinate yourself in it and then shoot from the hip. And she really wants all of those points really lined out. So preparation can introduce a, a small amount of stress. Uh, how did that work for the two of you? Believe it or not, we seem to work pretty well together. However, I think we disagree on like if you were to create some logical argument about what is the best, quote unquote, best way to prepare, we would maybe have disagreements about that. But as far as working together, we kind of do tons of brainstorming. And I think I think Daniel maybe is more likely to brainstorm more than I am. I, I think I'm ready to move on sooner than you are. Yeah, I, I that, probably yeah. over prepare. And so I think we're, we're both lean more yeah. in that let's be prepared side. But mm -hmm. Um, Re Regina probably, yeah. you know, she might spend 30 minutes going over the notes where I, I would want to spend two hours. <laughs> yeah. But I love a good outline. I can't live without the outline. Oh yeah. So. The out well, <laughs> yeah. You, you get one page of outline and that's like several hours worth of talk, right? Because you then exactly. get to, you get to, to branch out and explore stories and, uh, yeah. So let's talk a little <laughs> bit about, um, about marriage enrichment. Uh, you've no doubt done this yourself, but then you've also facilitated that for other people as well. What do you see as a common misconception uh, or misunderstanding about marriage enrichment? I think what you were saying before a little bit earlier about, you know, you have to wait until there's some type of crisis moment. And, you know, I think that's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, if we're not taking those steps to tailor our marriage and be attuned to one another, connecting in those everyday small ways, then we will be that couple who ends up in crisis. So if you're not attending to and, you know, watering the garden of your marriage, so to speak, then it's going to become dry. And so I think people just, and granted life is busy. We get caught up in a lot of life with kids or responsibilities or whatever it may be. Um, and so it's easy to neglect neglect your relationship at times or to just let other things take priority. So if we're not careful, then we really end up in that crisis situation. So I think making sure that we're attuned to that, that we're always being intentional about connecting to make sure that uh, we aren't in that place is really, in my opinion, why marriage enrichment is so important. I like to think of it as um, maybe a, a checkup, a status check, uh, a check in. <laughs> Um, maintenance, something like that. Well, and you brought up a point there uh, that sometimes we just get into the, the routine of life to the point where that routine becomes rut. And we don't even necessarily notice when that difference happens. And so we end up just kind of coasting through and doing the things that have to be, that have to be done in order to just make it through the day. And we miss the connection, which is so integral to our life together. 
Absolutely. There's there's actually been research done on this where um, groups of couples were sort of followed over a period of time, uh, several weeks, and I think they found um, the couples that they found the least happy or satisfied in their relationships really uh, didn't have conversation outside of those daily to-dos. So, so they were managing the household and they were talking about, okay, you go to the grocery store, I'll go to the cleaners, but they weren't actually having real intimate conversation about hopes or dreams or what made them laugh that day, just sort of regular conversation. Um, and it showed, you know, they they were actually long-term, you know, couples who really ended up in trouble uh, down the road. So it, it is something that think about and be, yeah, pay attention to. So for those who recognize in themselves and in their relationship, what you just mentioned, that will we talk about uh, who's got to go where and what has to be done and how to maintain the logistics of life. But I recognize, as you're saying that, that we don't have those deeper conversations. Um, is there a, a shortcut or a resource or something to help maybe provide some topic discussion starters to begin exploring those deeper conversations? So one of my favorites is um, the Gottman Card Dex app. So it's spelled G-O-T-T-M-A-N after Dr. John Gottman. He's one of my all-time favorite leading researchers for relationships. Um, so if you'll, if it's a free app, you download it and he has, it's as if it's a digital card deck. So mm -hmm. it's just plain text that you can swipe and it has a question, you know, for each swipe basically yeah. that you can ask each other. And it's divided into different categories, whether it be just open-ended questions, there'll be questions that touch on childhood or how do you feel as a parent? Um, it'll, there'll be questions even on sexuality, sexual relationships, that type of dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, so I will give you a caveat there. There are some things probably in the card deck that aren't fully in line with church teaching. So I'll right. give a, I'll give a caveat to that. So, you know, read at your own discretion, but, but, but even in those, yes. uh, even in those yeah. situations where maybe you're reading a yeah. card that obviously falls outside of, of the sexual morality pr proposed by the church that gives you an opportunity to respond to it uh, and to maybe express yourself in your understanding of the faith to your spouse, which is in itself an important thing to do. Absolutely. But as far as those conversation starters goes, um, those questions are golden. They're really, really helpful. And we actually have a lot of fun with them. We kind of pick it up every now and then and just answer one or two and then, you know, move on. <laughs> um, so it doesn't have to be this big drown out thing either. Yeah. So, so we're going to get a link to that, uh, that resource and put it up on our social media. You can find it over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls. We're talking today with Daniel and Regina Boyd. Regina is a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice in Lake Mary, Florida. Find her at reginaboyd.com. And Daniel is the secretary for laity family and life for the diocese of Orlando and also co-host of the podcast being and making disciples. So we're going to have these conversations that are touching in the, the deep places of our life, sometimes maybe a trivial beginning that leads to something deeper. Let's talk about that, that deeper bit for a moment. Um, I remember when my wife and I were uh, not yet even dating. I, this, I think, was the first time that I had uh, convinced her that I would take her home from this group that we were both a part of. And we're driving, and, and I still remember, like, I don't know how I've romanticized this in my head, but we're driving down the road and with the the uh, the yellow light streetlights 
um, reflecting off of the recently rained on streets. So it was really kind of glossy. And I looked over and I said, I had this epiphany. And of course, I'm a verbal processor. So I said it out loud. And she's not a verbal processor. So she, she thought I had been planning to say this for, you know, hours or days. And I said, this is what marriage is. And she said, excuse me, what? <laughs> and I said, it's, it's, uh, it's sitting together in the car, driving down the street, just together. And then I kind of came up with this uh, made up number because 73% of all statistics are made up on the spot. I said, uh, <laughs> you know, 80, maybe 8% of marriage is romance and maybe 2% is just really hard, difficult times. And like 90% is just brushing your teeth and taking out the trash together. Um, but so many people enter into marriage with an expectation that is romanticized, that all of marriage is going to be this high, deep, intimate, close, uh, euphoric experience. And then their, their reality doesn't match that expectation, which just that in itself can be a creator of stressor and problems. Um, what would you say to someone uh, to help them set a healthy, a healthy understanding, a healthy expectation of what marriage can provide for them? Well, one of the things that um, we've really embraced is um, an idea of the the domestic liturgy. And it's just understanding that um, as married people, we're called to holiness in all aspects of life. And you could take a super Catholic family mm -hmm. and maybe they, they pray the rosary every day and they pray liturgy of the hours and they go to mass and, uh, and maybe they read scripture all together. Well, even, you know, all together, that's going to be about two, maybe three hours worth of prayer time. Well, you're awake for 16 hours. So what are you doing for the other 13 hours of the day together? And there's got to be an authentic way of living holiness in those other 13 hours. And so um, I like to think of, of those 13 hours as all of the things that make up the domestic liturgy. If there's a domestic church, then there's a domestic liturgy. So um, the way, just the, the normal ways we interact with one another become the stuff of holiness. That those are the, that's the raw material that God gives us to create something beautiful with our lives, to say to the world, look at how good God is. Look at how, how much he loves us. And he created us and gave us this, this sacrament and this family life as a way to experience his love and share that with one another. So the, the things from, you know, just normal conversations that are done with love and um, things like working together as a family. And rather than saying, okay, you go, you go clean this bathroom. I'm going to clean the living room. You clean the kitchen. Even if it's a little less efficient saying, no, we're going to do this together. And we're going to, you know, maybe move from, from room to room or, okay, we're all going to sit here and fold the laundry together, or we're going to go outside and we're going to garden together. Um, as if to say, you know, we can take the banal and we can make it sacred just by doing it together intentionally. And um, we might not even, you know, it's not like we have to always be on the lookout for like, oh, look, here's a sacred moment and we can enjoy this. And um, it's more, um, it's the kind of thing that you you experience it and you find it when you're not looking for it. Um, C.S. Lewis in his his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he kind of described this experience of, of joy as it's, um, if you're acting like a sentinel or a sentry on the lookout on the horizon for, you know, for the sunrise, it's, it seems like it takes forever, but it's when you least expect it and it sneaks up on you. Um, I think that's when the, the mundane in marriage becomes beautiful and really, um, really sacred. So if you're always expecting the romantic, 
you're not going to find it a lot because you're you're setting your expectations too high but it's when you're fully present to other people and you kind of go outside of yourself that you can be surprised by the joy in in everything in life so saint thomas aquinas says that love is to will the good of the other uh and Oftentimes we think of love as being some kind of experience of romanticism, but the church offers us this different perspective. Uh, St. Pope John Paul II calls it the, uh, the, the law of self-gift. Um, and that, that, that's where we find love most evident is when we make a full gift of ourself. I think so often we wait around looking for our spouse to love us rather than engaging in that self-gift ourself. Now, of, of course, there's always exceptions. There are people who who are the ones always giving and, and experience neglect from their spouse. We can talk about that in a second. But for the majority, for those who are just kind of feeling the blahs about marriage, uh, I think very often there is this sense of, well, they're, they're not giving me enough. There's this kind of keeping score. Uh, I'll give when they give. Um, what is a, what's a, a way that we can one recognize that in ourselves and then two combat that. Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. I think, you know, I, there's so many quotes out there, but I remember coming across a quote at some point about, you know, marriage isn't 50, 50, it's a hundred, 100. And I, I feel like it's, I love that quote so much because it's easy to remember, but it's also very true. If I start dividing up tasks and thinking about, well, I did the dishes two days this week, he needs to do them two more days, you know, uh, that's just really going to create a lot of animosity and unnecessary tension in the relationship. But instead thinking about the fact that there's probably 10 other things he's doing that I are not even on my radar that I'm not even thinking about. And so he's giving 100% in his own way, and I'm giving 100% in my way. And by that, by putting that together, our household is taken care of, our family is taken care of. And so when I notice the dishes, that's probably a sign that I should be doing it. <laughs> it's been put on my heart to do it. And the same way he notices something else, the trash or, you know, vacuuming or something else, right? So um, I think the more that we can think about ourselves and have that humility to admit that, okay, yeah, okay, maybe you get the gold star for doing the dishes every day this week, but there's a very good chance you probably slacked off in some other area. And I think a lot of couples see this when somebody travels out of town for one reason or another, all of a sudden you start noticing the things that don't get done when that other person isn't around. And then you realize, wow, they, they probably did a whole lot more than I, than I give them credit for. So I want to bring up something here, uh, this idea of uh, recognizing the dishes or recognizing some other task and, and getting upset about it. Um, because so very often we don't really take the time to think through why we're upset, right? We, we have a, a quick little narrative that we may tell ourselves, but we're experiencing discomfort, emotional discomfort. We see that something's not being done the way that we want it to be done. But that's the, the triggering event that's causing the, the discomfort. We don't often take the time to realize that there are layers and layers of whether that be um, family of origin expectations or some other true need that, that we are feeling not met that underpins all of that. That even if he did the dishes today, I would probably find something else to be upset about because there's a deeper need uh, or a deeper frustration that's 
the wellspring of this current dissatisfaction. I remember a, a conversation that Regina and I had, and it wasn't that long ago, um, but I was blind to so much work that she had done that day. And she had done it intentionally because she knew it was important to me. And you know whether it was, you know, I, I um, was frustrated that something wasn't as clean as I thought it should be or something to do with dinner. And Regina had really gone out of her way to uh, to express her love for me in those ways. And I was blind to it. And uh, yeah, there were, there were definitely underlying things there. I probably wasn't paying enough attention to how stressed I was because of work. And so mm-hmm. um, I was probably neglecting prayer. And the, the real frustration, the source of all of that was, was more a, um, it had a, a spiritual root and that I, I knew that I was not engaging. I wasn't turning to the Lord as much as I should be. And I was agitated at that. I was agitated at myself. And as, as I often do, I'm sure other people do when I'm agitated at myself, I kind of turn to other people and look to them for, for an explanation of why I'm agitated. Um, and then with other things in, in our marriage, I know there's been um, times where I think especially in raising our children where um, I have had kind of these, these standard expectations of what it looks like to discipline a child mm-hmm. because that was what I saw. And I was just I was re- repeating or, or kind of mimicking um, the discipline style of my parents or other people that I had seen growing up. Um, and I realized in really, uh, really good, honest conversations with Regina that um, I didn't have a good reason for that. And it was just kind of being a tyrant and not, I mean, not like I was um, being abusive or anything, but I was just coming up with rules arbitrarily. And uh, in that discussion, I was then able to stop and reflect, okay, is there any bitterness that I have over maybe some, what I felt like were arbitrary enforcement of rules when I was a child that just seemed like, okay, you know, I, I, whatever you're doing, I, I, I can't handle it right now. So I'm going to make you stop because I just, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. And that says more about the rule giver than perhaps than it does about the, the person who's just kind of going about their day, having fun. So um, anything to add to that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we often function with, with these scripts, the scripts that we've been given by our families without even realizing it. And it's really important to, to do some self-reflection from time to time and ask those questions. Well, why is this important to me? Why am I wanting to enforce that rule? Or why am I so upset about these dishes or, or whatever it may be? And oftentimes, if we're able to float back, well, first, identify that underlying emotion. What is, what is the emotion? People immediately jump to angry. But angry can describe a whole facet of different emotions. So if we can really name specifically what it is, you know, uh, disappointed, rejected, um, lonely, whatever it is, then, then secondly, after you identify the emotion, being able to float back to a memory connected to that emotion. When was a time in my childhood where I also felt lonely? And what we don't realize is many of those moments are were really being triggered from those earlier memories. So we might have a strong reaction to um, maybe a memory about in our household how dishes were really important. Or when you don't, you know, listen to my request to put dishes in the dishwasher instead of on the counter or something like that. <laughs> I'm I'm taking that personally as if you know you disrespect me as an individual. You don't value my opinion. And really that's triggering an earlier memory, right? Because sometimes yeah. people are in a rush, they forget, they put the dishes on the counter, right? But um, it's a silly example to illustrate a deeper thing that can be happening. There's this thought of you did that on purpose at me. Not, not yep. just that you did it, but you did it at me. Yes. 
we're running into um, some really tricky issues now because we're, we're dealing with childhood. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting to that age now where I look back on my childhood and I think that was a different life and probably a different person. Um, and it's, it's sometimes hard to remember that all of those strings of who I am are tied very closely to family of origin, even all this time later. Uh, that that I'm still reacting to my siblings and to my parents and to my peer group decades down the road. Uh, and and there is that question of, do I still need to let them have that control over my life today? Mm. That's what I think is a beautiful gift of marriage because... Uh, we grow in those areas from our spouse. Our spouse sort of make us confront those areas that still need smoothing out, those edges that need to be buffed. I'm, I'm thinking of a really funny example. So, you know, I'm one of two siblings in my f- family. So I remember uh, going to my best friend's house. She's the oldest of eight. Daniel is also one of eight in his house. And so in my family, you know, if we went out to a restaurant to eat, you could bring your to-go box and put it in the fridge and it would still be there the next day when you return. <laughs> and I met my friend's house, you know, her and I, you know, we're teenagers. We go out to eat, we come back to her house and she's rest her to go box on the counter. And then all of a sudden I see within less than five minutes, a sibling comes, opens the box, takes a bite out. Then another person comes along, opens the box within less than five minutes. That box was completely gone and empty. And I remember how shocked I was. And so after Daniel and I got married, I remember being really offended, maybe even still now to this day, when he there will be food that I'm expecting to come back to later. Never announced that to anyone, never just in my own mind assumed it would be there and being really offended when it wasn't there when I returned. And so, yeah, we, we have these rules and these scripts that we've learned about how life should be based on our families, because in my family, food was always there. But um, because of the sacrament of being married to him, I'm learning that it's okay if that doesn't happen. And, and it's actually not really a big deal. And you're still loved and we can be flexible and move and move around this. Um, yeah, so absolutely. We're talking today with Daniel and Regina Boyd. Regina is a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice in Lake Mary, Florida. You can find her practice at reginaboyd.com. You can also listen to her podcast, Connecting Out Loud, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Daniel is the secretary for Laity, Family, and Life for the Diocese of Orlando and the co-host of the podcast, Being and Making Disciples, a Catholic podcast about fruitful ministry, also available wherever you listen to podcasts. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation, but I want to look specifically, so far we've been talking about kind of the mundane, everyday experience, but I want to talk specifically about how past trauma, sometimes personal trauma, but also sometimes generational trauma, and how that can affect the way that we relate to our spouse. There's so much more to this conversation right after this break. You know, while we're taking this break, this is a great opportunity to come and be a part of the ongoing conversation Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls and answer the question that we started this episode with. How did you meet your spouse? While you're there, you can look at that link for that app, the Gottman card deck app to begin to engage in deeper conversations with your spouse. We'll be right back with more outside the walls. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and we're talking about one of my favorite things in the world. It's marriage, National Marriage Week, given to us by the USCCB, as we're in this week leading up to Valentine's Day. Yes, I said it, leading up to Valentine's Day, uh, you've got just a couple of days. Monday is the day. So if you have any special rituals or practice, or if you need to go out and write a, buy a card, write something lovely on the inside, uh, now is the time to do it. You are running out of time rapidly. Uh, we're talking today about marriage and marriage enrichment and helping maybe identify some of those problem spots, the common problem spots, uh, so that you can grow in your relationship with your spouse. We're talking with Daniel and Regina Boyd. Uh, Regina is a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice in Lake Mary, Florida, and Daniel is the secretary for laity family and life for the Diocese of Orlando, also in Florida. So glad to have you both on the show today. It's a joy. Thank you so much for the invitation to you. So one of the things that I have seen more attention be given to maybe in the last two years is the effect of trauma on on our relationships and the way that we respond to other people. When I was growing up, you would hear about trauma like PTSD, and that's the kind of thing that the soldiers coming home from war would get. And before that, of course, we would call it shell-shocked or, or other terms. But in the last couple of years, I've seen that diagnosis and that word uh, be applied to a broader swath of, of people and experiences. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about how trauma can affect our relationships and, and how it can affect our marriages. Uh, recently, of course, the, the Disney came out with the movie Encanto, uh, which is all about generational trauma, which is even yet another new term that I hadn't been aware of in my childhood. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about the difference between trauma for an individual and generational trauma and how both of those things affect our relationships with those closest to us. It's a big topic. There's, I mean, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot going on, and thankfully, this is um, a topic that is getting more attention. And uh, my my background in this is really kind of from an educational point of view. Before working uh, for the Diocese of Orlando, I worked in Catholic schools, and I've done some research on education, especially the effects of things like um, poverty over years over the years and um, you can just there's there's not very many areas of life that are not touched by generational trauma. There's a, a vogue term in education right now called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, A-C-E. And uh, it's this recognition that um, when you you grow up with it's like three or uh, three or more of these ACEs, then the you you have this compounding effect of stress such that it becomes traumatic. Mm -hmm. And uh, what, what it does to children who are trying to learn and trying to thrive is, uh, is sadly profound um, in terms of just decreased expectations for, for academics and um, greater risk of certain adverse health experiences or health, health risk, risks, whatnot. And um, that just kind of perpetuates the cycle. So you have somebody who is uh, traumatized and, and may accidentally pass that on to their children. And then it just perpetuates and becomes this, this vicious cycle. But uh, Regina sees a lot more of this in her work in marriage and family therapy. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a broad sense, trauma can really be anything that's stressful enough to impact someone um, 
long term. So, you know, the war example, I love the war example because it's an easy analogy. So because we've known lots of people who've served in Afghanistan and Iraq, and there's a spectrum of people who come back and are forever changed. They, they have severe PTSD symptoms and it's really hard for them to live life like they did before. But we also know many people who have come back and live very normal lives. Or we know people who've done multiple tours and still come back and live normal lives. And so it's all about that individual's ability to handle stress in a moment and what they find stressful, what, what would be something that's stressful for them. And that's really where it changes into a traumatic experience because um, you know, over overseas, that can be, that's a great example of where somebody, some people's ability to tolerate that is very different. And I think it's a great example. So even in everyday life, you know, we could have something that seems really small impact us in a very negative way where for somebody else, they just brush it off and don't think about it. Well, and let's, let's use the, the, another definition of the word trauma for a second. It just is a, another example of that. I uh, have have tripped and fallen many times in my life, right? But about a month ago, I tripped and fell in a slightly different way, and it hit in just a slightly different place, and I got a just massive lump on my leg from the trauma. So you can, even an individual person can experience something multiple times and it not have pre present a traumatic response. And another time with a situation just slightly different or the compounding effect of it can can produce that trauma. So it, it it's not a one size fits all or even a, within the same person, much less within the broad uh, broad strokes of society. Exactly. And I think we're seeing the compounding effects of COVID and, you know, how that impacts us in a traumatic way. Right. Some differently than others. And I think as far as relationships go, trauma is really tough because um, if somebody is triggered, meaning they're, they're having a flashback or some traumatic memory, maybe a sensation within themselves that comes out, that they can react negatively or harshly to their spouse or to their children. They can, again, assume negative, negative things about the other person. Um, they can also be really withdrawn, irritable. And so you can imagine how somebody acting in these ways can impact a relationship dynamic and affect it, make, make things feel really tumultuous and challenging. Um, and not to say that that person is to blame and it's completely their fault, but just highlighting how this dynamic can be at play. I love, I love the fact that you use that Encanto example because I think that's, that's a perfect how one family member affects so many just mm -hmm. by them trying to keep things together and, yeah. you know, they were doing in their own best way, but the ripple effects were really costly in the end. So maybe this is the, the better way to take this, uh, because if we're dealing with trauma or generational trauma, it's not something we can just work our way out of or will to be better, that there is a need to work through that in community and, and with a professional. So maybe I think the better question for us today would be, how do we recognize if I'm having difficulty because of communication or if there might be trauma at play and trauma responses and coping mechanisms, either with myself or with my spouse? I would say if you're really having a hard time trying to figure that out, just go to therapy, go to couples therapy, and that's the easiest way to find out. And even if it's just a general communication issue versus uh, trauma being triggered, either way, therapy is going to help. Mm -hmm. um, and 
um, they've found through a lot of current research that trauma therapy is actually processed really well and way more effective in a couple's therapy context versus individually. So a lot of people assume, well, this is my trauma. You know, I experienced childhood abuse or whatever really difficult experience it might have been. So this is my issue. So I need to be the one to go to therapy and have it fixed. But the reality is you have a helpmate given to you who can be present and attentive while you're discussing these traumatic memories and this other person can be a part of the plan of your healing of knowing recognizing your signs maybe you give off some nonverbal signals that you're not aware of that your spouse could pick up on and start helping you before that explosive moment comes and saying hey I, you just did the shoulder shrug thing you know are you okay do you need some time alone <laughs> is it you know is something coming and so it really can be a beautiful process where you let someone into those scarier places of your heart and really allow the Lord to work through that sacrament and bring healing in those in those areas. Regina has done a really good job of, of learning to recognize those signs in me of, of um, okay, Dan's, Dan's stressed right now. And I'm just going to remind him like, hey, are you what where where's your reaction coming from right now? Is this a time where you should just go? Um, you know, relax and, and maybe read something or pray or, or breathe to calm down? Or, um, you know, are you just really animated and excited about this? And um, it, not that it happens all that often, but um, it's just been very helpful to have somebody like that who knows me so well, who can uh, help me to recognize in those moments, you're not your best self. And we, we know things just because we've had conversations about it or, or whatnot. We know things that you can do to get back to where you, you should be so that it's easier to be the, the man I want to be. It's that spiritual manifestation of the commercial, you need a Snickers, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you mentioned specifically trauma counseling. Uh, you, are, you have a number of different licensures in your, uh, in your practice. Uh, your licensed marriage and family therapist. You've done uh, three levels of certification on the, the Gottman that you mentioned earlier. Uh, you're licensed cl- um, uh, mental health uh, counselor. Yeah. There are different kinds of counseling. How would one go about finding the appropriate counselor for them in their situation? That's a great question. I think it depends on what it is that you're wanting to focus on as far as your work goes. So if you did want to work in a couple's context, I'd highly recommend a marriage and family therapist. I mean, there's just a lot of training and experience around using therapy in a way that can be dialoguing between spouses versus an individual context. Sometimes individual therapy can accidentally pit two members of a couple against each other because obviously the therapist is invested in that person and building that individual up and they don't realize they're accidentally um, making things difficult at home. And so uh, a marriage and family therapist would be really mindful of that. Uh, Trauma, you know, I would say if you're searching, uh, when you're making those phone calls and looking on websites, you know, a lot of therapists have an initial 10 to 15 minute consultation that's free. And so I would say use that, take advantage of that and ask those questions, you know, what's your experience with trauma? What's your experience with family of origin issues? Or, you know, this is what's going on with us. Have you worked with that before? Am I, you know, am I weird? Am I crazy? You know, all of those questions. (laughs) Nobody wants to ask that question. (laughs) Believe it or not, I hear it a lot. Um, 
And it's, it's really funny because a lot of people ask that question, like they're so scared. They're like, oh my gosh, is, can you even help us? Because they're so stressed and they're so worried. And, um, you know, it's, I've, I've seen a lot, you know? And so there's really nothing that is so scary that can't be helped. If that, if that makes sense, even though for you, it feels really dark and overwhelming. Um, so I would say, just ask, just ask what their experiences had. They worked with other people in that situation and what training do they have around it? Mm-hmm. Well, and this is coming from me, a non-expert, uh, but in my experience, uh, what limited it is, uh, what I've noticed is that anyone who, who wants to make a difference and who wants to work on it has a willingness to be vulnerable uh, they're not they're not too far gone, right? If the vulnerability is there and the willingness to work is there, then whatever you're experiencing is not too far down the road. This there is healing that can be found when there is the willingness to work and to search for it. Absolutely, right? There's only one unforgivable sin, so to speak. Not that people who need therapy are sinning, but <laughs> I'm using that as an analogy. <laughs> right. Um, right? You can only not ask for help and that's the only way to not get help. So if you, if you are open to the process, if you're willing to engage, absolutely. I, I will admit, you know, when uh, I was in grad school, it was a requirement for us to go to therapy. And um, I would kind of, I was probably one of not the best client because I was kind of treating it more as an obligation. And this is annoying. Let me check this off so I can just get this done for school. And I still even learned something, (laughs) even being kind of reluctant and begrudgingly, I still got a lot out of the process. So if you engage and are really open, it's going to be a phenomenal time. I mean, when else do you get to go sit somewhere and just focus on yourself for an hour, an hour and a half? I mean, that rarely happens. Um, so we've been talking about a lot of heavy things here. I want to end us on a, maybe an up note. Uh, I want you to tell me something, some experience over the last year, since we're talking about Valentine's this year and marriage enrichment this year, something over the last year that you found, maybe you learned about your spouse or that you found to be very helpful in growing your relationship closer together this year. Hmm. This year specifically. Oh yes. Oh yeah. We're going to, yeah. listen, it's, it's good that you've done it before, but what have you done for me lately? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a few months ago we did get to go on a marriage retreat and that was a really nice reminder for me about um, making sure that we are intentional about, you know, asking for what we need or what's on our mind and our heart. So I've really appreciated um, being more focused on and clear about my expectations and my desires. And I think that's really helped me at least feel more connected in our, in our relationship. Uh, I think I've, you know, sometimes if I don't pay attention, I get in my head more and make assumptions about things versus being clear and direct about it. And I've really appreciated how receptive you've been to that. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Um, there's a lot that I would I'd say I've I've relearned or remembered, um, but one thing that is, you know, we've been married for for 12 years now, so I I feel a little silly that it took me this long to realize <laughs> this. Probably realizing it on, on a deeper level, um, but just how sharing my burdens with Regina in the sense of telling her what I'm experiencing and how how hard and how difficult things might be is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's there's two things that Two, two ways that it helps me. The first is um, I probably make things bigger in my mind 
than they actually are. But then when I have to, to kind of spit it out and explain to Regina, here's this thing that's stressing me, all of a sudden it shrinks and it shrinks and it shrinks and it becomes this very manageable problem because it, I can't really explain why, but it just does. And then the other thing is having a second set of eyes to look at a problem. And mm -hmm. Regina just comes up with novel solutions to problems that I wouldn't have thought of. And so learning to trust her in that, and it, you know, it, I trusted her 12 years ago when I married her and I trusted her six years ago and I trusted her five years ago and two years ago, but there's just a, a deeper level of trust that I'm grateful for that um, the Lord has allowed us to enter into. And I think because Regina has continued to love me very deeply and um, show me how much more I can trust her. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. I'll also add, you know, uh, trying to pray more together as a couple, praying aloud together instead of having separate prayer time, but making sure we're engaging in prayer together and date nights. So our strategy for Valentine's Day is we're going out on the 15th so that we don't have to worry about all the craziness right. um, out. Yeah. So, um, the candy's yeah, cheaper we're looking too. forward to that. Yeah. Candy's cheaper on the 15th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've been talking with Daniel and Regina Boyd. Regina is a licensed mental health counselor with a private practice and a couple of podcasts. You can find those over at reginaboyd.com. Daniel Boyd's the sec secretary for laity, family, and life for the Diocese of Orlando. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, it's been a joy. Thank you so much for the invitation, TL, and uh, count on our prayers for, for you and all the listeners out there. Thanks so much for listening. Count on our prayers for you and for your marriage. And whether you're, you're married now or in the future, we pray that that would be a great source of, of joy and blessing for you and your family. Thank you so much. If you missed any part of my conversation with Daniel or Regina Boyd, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with a friend who you think would benefit from it over on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Additionally, we have an extra segment that's available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we give extra segments each and every week. Learn more by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and Church History. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, giving you access to the fathers and the doctors of the church, linking Scripture to the catechism, to biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today, as you might expect, comes from the letter of St. Paul. Uh, to the Corinthians. This is the passage where he explains to them what love is. And we've heard this a number of times, but I want you to draw back and think of this and listen to this in terms of how we define love today. Specifically, as we talked about in the earlier in the episode, the difference and distinction between the expectation that love will be romantic and St. Thomas Aquinas' assertion that love means to will the good of the other. So with that in mind, Let's hear the words of St. Paul to the Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love 
is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. That reading comes from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13. Now, I love to take this and to reframe it as a litmus test for us as we look at the ways that we interact with our spouse and the people around us to say, am I patient and kind or am I envious and boastful? Am I arrogant or rude? Do I insist on my own way or am I irritable or resentful? And so then we measure up these attitudes and actions against what Scripture gives us, and we ask ourselves if the things that we're doing, if we're doing them in love, or if there is some other motivating factor there. And it helps us to refine ourselves, to say, okay, you know what? I'm not always acting in a loving way, and I want to always act in a loving way, specifically to my spouse. I want to be for that for my spouse who they need me to be. I want to will their good, to will the good of the other, and to live my life in love toward my spouse. And this is a great passage uh, to put up on post-it notes on you know, maybe your bathroom mirror, just to have that little quick examine, this examination of our conscience and of our attitudes and of our actions towards our spouse. Our reading from church history today, we're going to go to Gaudium et Spes, which is a document of the Second Vatican Council. And we're going to read number 48, which is uh, this beautiful passage on marriage. And it actually goes a little bit longer than this, but this is the part that we're going to share together. The intimate partnership of married life and love has been established by the Creator and qualified by His laws and is rooted in the conjugal covenant of irrevocable personal consent. Hence, by that human act whereby spouses mutually bestow and accept each other, a relationship arises, which by divine will and in the eyes of society too, is a lasting one. For the good of the spouses and their offspring as well as of society, the existence of the sacred bond no longer depends on human decisions alone. For God himself is the author of matrimony. 
endowed as it is with various benefits and purposes. All of these have a very decisive bearing on the continuation of the human race, on the personal development and eternal destiny of the individual members of a family, and on the dignity, stability, peace, and prosperity of the family itself and of human society as a whole. By their very nature, the institution of matrimony itself and conjugal love are ordained for the procreation and education of children and find in them their ultimate crown. Thus, a man and a woman, who by their compact of conjugal love are no longer two but one flesh, render mutual help and service to each other through an intimate union of their persons and of their actions. Through this union, they experience the meaning of their oneness and attain it with growing perfection day by day. As a mutual gift of two persons, this intimate union and the good of the children impose total fidelity on the spouses and argue for an unbreakable oneness between them. Christ the Lord abundantly blesses this many-faceted love, welling up as it does from the fountain of divine love, and structured as it is from the model of his union with the church. For as God of old made himself present to his people through a covenant of love and fidelity, so now the Savior of men and the spouse of the church comes into the lives of married Christians through the sacrament of matrimony. He abides with them thereafter so that just as he loved the church and handed himself on over on her behalf, so spouses may love each other with perpetual fidelity through mutual self-bestowal. Authentic married love is caught up into divine love and governed and enriched by Christ's redeeming power and the saving activity of the church so that this love may lead the spouses to God and with powerful effect, and may aid and strengthen them in sublime office of being father and mother. For this reason, Christian spouses have a special sacrament by which they are fortified and receive a kind of consecration in the duties and dignity of their state. By virtue of this sacrament, as spouses fulfill their conjugal and family obligation, they are penetrated with the Spirit of Christ, which suffuses their whole lives with faith, hope, and charity. Thus, they increasingly advance the perfection of their own personalities as well as their mutual sanctification and hence contribute jointly to the glory of God. That reading comes from Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 48. Gaudium et Spes is the constitution on the church in the modern world given to us by the Second Vatican Council. But there are so many documents of the church, beautiful documents that unpack for us the richness of this marriage bond. You can read Gaudium et Spes, Casti Canubi, Familiaris Consortio, uh, Amoris Letitia, and so many others. All of these are available on the Vatican website or in, in your verbum.com library. And here at the end of National Marriage Week, this would be a great time for you and your spouse to pick one of those documents and read it together and see what you can learn about your relationship through what the church proposes. Maybe see some of those connections about how your marriage mirrors that relationship of Christ and his church. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. 
Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.